0: Hi everyone, thank you for joining us today for our COVID-19 Q&A. I'm Kanika Sedelsen, and I'm the Director of Communications at Texas Nurses Association. We have our CEO, Cindy Zolner. And we have uh, Serena Bocas, our Director of Practice. Uh, so we'll jump in. We had a lot of questions, um, both at um, Monday during our Texas, uh, you know, our Nurse Day at the Capitol. And um, we also had some questions last night during our nurse talks with Diana Ruiz, who uh, she went over a lot of the disparities that we're seeing with COVID-19. Uh, So we're going to kick it off with some of those questions here. Uh, Cindy, if you could uh, give us kind of an overview of what's happening in this legislative session, um, how we're advocating for nurses, um, and then what protections nurses already have, such as Safe Harbor. There
1: we go. Um, Thank you, Kanika. Yes. So one bill we're very excited about um, right now that's very timely with COVID is what we're calling the presumption bill. Um, We know that during the, this pandemic, a lot of nurses um, contracted COVID um, while they were caring for COVID patients in the clinical setting. And many of those nurses were having to take their own PTO or time off without pay um, when they became ill. And the presumption bill, what, what it would do is presume that a nurse who's working in a clinical environment, if they come down with COVID, that they indeed contracted that illness from the work environment and therefore would have access to benefits such as workers' comp. The presumption component is rather than the nurse needing to prove that they got it at work, it would be presumed that the nurse contracted the virus at work and therefore they would have access to benefits and that would be retroactive to February. So nurses that had been affected prior to now last year um, would be able to access those benefits. So we're really excited about that. There's a lot of support in the legislature. Um, legislators really want to um, help and, and support nurses this session. We also have a bill on, on workplace violence. It's a similar bill to what we had last session that would require organizations, including hospitals, long-term care, home health agencies, and freestanding emergency centers to establish workplace violence prevention committees and involve direct care nurses on those committees to develop plans to prevent violence. I and mean, there are some requirements for what those plans need to include. It's an agreed bill um, and we're very hopeful to see that, that pass this session. We're also very concerned and continue to be very concerned about the nursing shortage and are hearing about um, nurses that are leaving the workforce related to their experiences with COVID. It's really taken a toll on the mental health and the stamina and the resilience of nurses. And so there's a continuing concern about what our nursing workforce will look like. So it's more important than ever that we continue to fund the Nursing shortage Reduction Program, as well as the uh, Nurse Faculty Loan Repayment Program to ensure that we're continuing to produce nurses to care for our Texas citizens. Also, we know that long-term care is especially challenged in recruiting nurses to work in that setting. And so there is a bill that would provide loan repayment for nurses who choose to work in long-term care and care for that vulnerable population. And we're really hopeful. It's a tight session um, budget-wise, but we're really hoping to get that bill passed and some funding for that for that loan repayment program. Of course, always on our agenda is um, removing barriers to APRN practice, and we have a number of bills that will address that. Again, we, we are... Hopeful this session because there is so much attention to um, access to care and some of the challenges that we encountered during the pandemic, some of the waivers that were put in place, removing barriers, and how that has helped Texans access care. So um, we do hope to see some, some movement on that this year. And I want to remind everybody some protections that we've had in place for a long time for nurses are advocacy protections for nurses that want to speak out for, for patient safety. So um, that is a protected activity that, you know, and again, and nurses are encouraged to raise their concerns in a way that they can be responded to. And that is best done through your chain of command in your in your work environment and, and raising your concerns um, to your, your manager, your, your supervisor, your director, all the way up um, the chain of command, again, Those are protected activities. If you do suffer retaliation, there is action that you can take. There's also a strong provision that is unique to Texas, um, Safe Harbor Peer Review. And that enables nurses to um, raise their concerns by asking for Safe Harbor, which affords them basically two protections. One is, um, it enables a nurse to accept an assignment that the nurse may have concerns about Um, and protect their license. Um, Secondly, it causes the organization to hold a a review of the situation where the nurse felt may may not be safe or may violate their duty to the patient and have that situation reviewed by a committee of peers who can determine whether or not that request really did violate the nurse's duty. And then it gives the organization an opportunity to respond. That committee can really look at um, what what factors caused that that situation to arise and how to prevent that from occurring in the future. So it really is an important tool for an organization to understand what kinds of situations may be coming up where nurses feel um, uncomfortable or unsafe. Um, So they're they're meant to be positive and not have a a negative impact. So I really look to leaders to support the protections that nurses have. We know that patients will be safer and our whole culture of providing care will be safer when nurses are able to raise their concerns so that they can be addressed. And um, untoward incidents and errors can be presented. So those are a number of things you currently have in your workforce. We did have some questions about um, the number of um, agency nurses and traveling nurses that are being seen in hospitals right now. And absolutely, they've been necessary to really augment and supplement our workforce since the demand has been so great, particularly for specialized nurses to care for um, our patients with COVID. As the hospital, the numbers are going down in terms of Patients with COVID who are hospitalized and they're, they're occupying a lower percentage of hospital beds. Um, we've recently heard the state may be asking organizations to evaluate the level of support they need from these agency nurses that are being provided by the state. Um, certainly, travel nurses have provided the flexibility we needed in our, in our workforce, but that's not the ideal. The ideal is always nurses that um, are employed and are um, well-versed in the organizational culture and and the care that is delivered there. So we thank all the nurses that have um, really stepped up and are are caring for um, our hospitalized, our sickest patients, Um, and we're looking forward to get back to more more routine, um, what we're used to. If there are any questions, I think you can put them in the chat and we'll, and we'll try to respond to those as well. I'll hand it back to Kanika. And we know a lot of nurses are also um,
0: kind of taking the initiative to start their own um, vaccine efforts and that type of thing. So um, we have really been um, our hearts have been warmed by all the stories, I guess I would say. Um, so please keep sending us your stories and letting us know um, what you are doing in your workplaces, because we really want to make sure we capture that, um, especially after this extraordinary year. And then now we've got um, you know a vaccine that has happened quicker than anything else in the past. And we know so many of you are working hard on this. So please send us your stories too. Um, I'm gonna shoot it over to Serena to talk a little bit about the distribution, um, how we're working with the EVAP, with DSHS, um, and a little bit more about vaccine
2: rollout. Making sure I'm not muted and all that good stuff. (laughs) Um, So I have had the opportunity to sit as a consultant on the expert vaccine allocation panel since at the beginning. And uh, it's, been, it's been a great learning opportunity for myself and just really to, to engage and to be that voice for nursing on that committee. Um, just a couple of questions that, that have, have come up. I think that we want to, uh, to address and just to give you some recent updates about the vaccines itself and where we stand. Um, One question that came up is asked if the the brands could be mixed and if there was any data to support that. Uh, The CDC did come out a few weeks ago with information that said in exceptional situations uh, when the product cannot be determined or if for whatever reason it's no longer available, any messenger RNA vaccine um, can be administered at minimum interval of 28 days between dose to, to complete the series. And so if, you know, if for some reason you're, you're just, the patient isn't sure what they received or um, or something like that, and they've been at that 28 day interval, then you can give them, a Moderna vaccine if they received a Pfizer vaccine initially. Uh, not, of course, if you can give them what they got the first time, that's recommended, but uh, you can use them interchangeably from that perspective if, um, if that's what's needed to do. There was another question that asked if there are any plans for door-to-door vaccinations, vaccinations for homebound individuals. Um, at this time, there are not. However, there have been conversations around how do we how do we utilize home health agencies or um, even insurance providers to help provide the vaccine um, and and get to some of these homebound individuals. Uh, there has not been any any def- def- definitive decisions at this time, but those conversations are taking place. Another question that has um, that's been asked quite often. And I've received probably more phone calls related to how can I volunteer to help administer vaccines versus um, where are the paid opportunities. But um, interestingly enough, when we bring up volunteering, there's, there's always a comment about nurses should be paid for this. And my response to that is it is completely up to the individual nurse on how they choose to serve their communities. If you want to volunteer, then there are a lot of opportunities out there. If you want to be paid for your services, there are a lot of those opportunities out there as well. You have to search for them equally. So um, please note that, (laughs) that there are numerous opportunities for nurses to participate in the vaccination process and it depends on your level of commitment. and and again, how you choose to serve your community in whether or not you're paid or you're volunteering. So I just, I wanna bring that up because those questions come up often. Um, If you are interested in volunteering, please go to our website. We have that information listed on there and the directions on how to sign up to be a volunteer. I also ask you to be patient because there are a lot of nurses who are signing up to volunteer and there is a process um, that you have to go through in order to be a volunteer at the state level with the Medical Reserve Corps, and that includes to have a background check that includes doing a lot of upfront education modules um, that are required by the state and at the federal level. So um, there is a little bit of red tape that you have to go through and we've recognized that and we've also elevated that as a concern. Um, However, it is what we have to do right now and um, there are a lot of people working in the background to to turn that around as quickly as possible. Uh, So the other, um, there's been a lot of questions around lax vaccination processes or challenges with scheduling and and that sort of thing and and we do recognize that that has been um, both an opportunity and a challenge. The state has created vaccination hubs or partnered with entities across the state to create these large vaccination hubs, so we can get as many vaccines in arms as possible. And the scheduling process in, in some areas has, has been a little bit of a challenge and, and those organizations are working through it as quickly as they possibly can. Um, the, the turnaround time to even get these vaccination hubs up and running was, was less than 10 days. And so to, to get something that big of scale, uh, you know, together, especially in large urban areas, um, I think we all have, have learned how to have a little grace, show a little grace and have a little patience over the last year. And we have to continue to do that with the vaccination process as well. And so it, it is... Um, really important that as we try to get our family members who fall into that 1B category, uh, scheduled for their vaccines, or or even there are still healthcare workers out there who still need to get a vaccine. We're adding more vaccine hubs um, across the state. In addition, there is now a federal program that launched this week in partnership with CVS, Walmart, Walgreens, and HEB, where they will also, those those entities will also receive vaccines and um, will be part of the vaccination efforts across the state. And so um, I, if you are looking for vaccines, I encourage you to go to the websites. I, I encourage you always to go to the websites of, of any vaccination entity first, because they're all busy trying to get vaccines in arms. So unless they tell you to call, um, always, go to the vac- uh, always go to the website first. Um, because this week, those, those, those four entities that have partnered with the federal program received 81,700 doses to get started. And each week they will continue to get vaccine doses as well um, to continue to, to offer those services to the public so we can continue to get as many vaccines in arms as possible.
0: Uh, we just have a quick question about uh, signing up for volunteering. If you go to our website, which is texasnurses.org COVID-19, all one word, no hyphen, um, there's volunteering information right up at the top.
2: Uh, so you can use that information. And
0: please share that with your friends also if they're interested in volunteering.
2: There's also been a question on if there are a plan on how to vaccinate our rural areas of Texas. Um, and we know that rural Texas has always been a challenge for for healthcare when it comes to access to care. And um, we are partnering with um, With our, our military and our, our National Guard, and they will be doing some mobile vaccination clinics to to get to people in those rural areas that otherwise don't have um, a physician in their community or a hospital. So that is one plan that, is, um, that will be taking place so we can get to our rural communities faster. And as far as equitable distribution of the vaccine, I do have some data um, around um, the doses that have been administered by age as well as ethnicity. And so this data um, was just shared with our um, vaccine allocation panel this week. And so when we look at the total Texas population, there are 28,995,881 people in Texas. That's using 2019 data, and our total doses administered thus far are 3,202,062 doses, which covers about 11% of the total population. When we look at the 18 and up population, which, mind you, probably includes the vast majority of healthcare workers, Um, That population uh, in total here in in Texas is 21,596,071 people. And we have vaccinated 2,868,906 people, which is around 13% of that total population. Ages 65 to 74, there are 2,245,028 total Um, individuals that fall in that 65 to 74 category, and we have vaccinated 652,168, which is around 29% of that total population. From the 75 to 79 population, there are 659,344,000 Texans that fall into the 75 to 79 range, and we vaccinated 221,518. 221,518 excuse me, which is around 34% of that total population. And then in the 80 plus, we have 829,857 Texans that fall into that 80 plus category. And we have um, administered 269,348, um, 269,348 uh, vaccines or a total of 32. Percent of the population at, at, at thus far. So we're making great progress, I think, in that older population, which is really where we want to see the majority of the progress, because that's where 70% of our deaths come from here in the state. From-
0: and I, um, I want to reiterate that DSHS is really asking, um, if you're providing vaccines, please, please, please enter the data into the Amtrak system Um, And is it the Texas disaster uh, registry system, second system, Um, because that is the data that they use to determine where vaccines will be distributed, and that's also the data that the federal government uses to determine how many vaccines will be coming into Texas. So if they're not seeing those vaccines being administered, they're gonna think, oh, you guys don't need as many vaccines, we're gonna send you less. So um, please, please, please get that data in as soon as possible. Um, DSHS has been having some issues with this and not being able to order as many vaccines as needed because the data is showing that they're not being
2: used. And that's correct. And, and starting this week, the feds have stated, that they will be allocating vaccine based off the number of doses administered and that data will be pulled from MTRAC. And so it is important to get that information in as quickly as possible. Um, As far as doses administered of Texans who are greater than 18 years of age by race and ethnicity, this is where it's really important to enter that race and ethnicity data, so we can track it to ensure that we are do you, we are tackling some of the um, health equity challenges that we have here in the state. And so, what we know at this time um, is that um, of the 18 and up total doses administered, 30% of those have gone to white. Um, white individuals, 11% to the Hispanic population, 4% to the black population, 5% to Asian, 9% to other, and 41% of the vaccines are unknown. So we have a lot of opportunity to to, really try and and capture that data as we're entering it into MTRAC so we can make sure that we are accurately Looking at information that tells us um, that, you know, what populations are being vaccinated. When you look at the, the population of Texans who are greater than 18 years of age by race and ethnicity, uh, 45% of Texans fall into, um, are, are white or Caucasian. We've got 36% who are Hispanic, 12%, 12% black, excuse me, 5% Asian and 2% other. So you can see that we have a lot of opportunity to ensure that our data is correct and accurate so we can so we can do what we need to do. When you look at that 65 to 74 years of age by race and ethnicity, what we know to be true here in Texas is that 60% of that population in Texas is white, 24% Hispanic, 10% black, Asian, 1% other. When you look at doses administered um, in that particular population by race and ethnicity, um, and again, we're talking about 65 to 74, 36% are white, 8% Hispanic, 4% black, 5% Asian, 7% other, and again, 40% is unknown. So as you can see, we've got a lot of opportunity here, even with the 75 to 79 population, which is considered the super seniors, um, 65% of, of, um, of Texans are, are white, 22% Hispanic, 8% black, 4% Asian, 1% other. And of the total doses administered in that 75 to 79, um, category. 39% of, of the population of, of those doses administered, race and ethnicity is unknown. And then 39% have been white, 9% other, 6% Hispanic, 4% Asian, and 3% Black. So we do have some opportunities there, as you can see, um, or here. I haven't don't have anything to show you right now, <laughs> but, um, but there are definitely some opportunities.
1: Um, Suzanne
2: asks do we think that the the vaccines
0: will ever be distributed more locally to minority groups such as going to them in their community like at a local library or senior center especially for people that don't have transportation Um, and we have heard from some nurses who are doing that they've started mobile vaccine clinics Um, they've been able to go out um, to get those seniors who don't have a lot of transportation Um, we actually heard a story yesterday of um, seniors who are actually in their um, you know, their uh, electronic uh, vehicles for mobility, actually like taking them out of their house and taking their little vehicles all the way to the vaccine site. Um, so we know that there there is a lot of need in those communities um, and we're really glad that nurses are out there trying to figure out how to get to them.
2: And, you know, it's all very dependent on, on the hubs and, And so for example, um, here in the local Austin area, uh, the the local health department has strategically placed those hubs in areas where social determinants of health are of concern um, that we do have a lot of, of, of vulnerabilities in the zip codes. And so they've created two vaccine hubs and two of the most vulnerable areas of the city. And those are the two main hubs. If you want a vaccine, you have to travel there regardless of where you live in um, the city of Amarillo, for example. Um, they have used their their main convention center for the most part to administer vaccines. They don't have a, a sign up process. It's a first come first serve. You stand in line. They prioritize their seniors as they are standing in line and move them up into the front. and um, And so it and that has worked out well for them, they have they are one of the cities um, in the state of Texas and across the entire country who's actually administered some of the, the, the most vaccines and same with the city of Houston as well. And so it's, it's I think each of these hubs are working really hard to try and, and capture uh, those vulnerable populations. And you know what it really comes down to is supply and demand. And um, it's great to see that there are so many out there who want the vaccine. Uh, we just need the supply to, to be there and able, to be able to do it. On average, Texas receives anywhere f- from 350,000 to 500,000 vaccines a week. And those have to be distributed across 85 hubs. Plus we have our federally qualified healthcare centers who have also been prioritized as, um, as as area as agencies to receive the vaccine because they do primarily serve our vulnerable populations, and they are a, a great resource in um, area to ensure that our vulnerable populations are receiving uh, the vaccines. Um, in addition, most of the areas are providing free transportation to and from the vaccine hubs where. Um, so people can get them without having to worry about how they're going to get there as well. Um, So I wanted to make sure we touched on that a little bit, too. um, Just to give you some updates as far as where we are with with the vaccine. So as you know, Johnson & Johnson, um, the the Janssen COVID vaccine, uh, they file for emergency use authorization. And um, we anticipate that the week of February 24th is when the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices will meet and discuss the Johnson & Johnson data. Um, So we're hoping that that's when a decision will be made as to whether or not they're approved for emergency use authorization, which means that that Johnson & Johnson vaccine could be available as early as march 1st should they choose should they um, be granted emergency use authorization which would be very exciting because that is a a one-time dose versus or a one one shot dose versus two shots like the pfizer and the moderna vaccine currently are Um, astrazeneca is the other uh, manufacturer that is uh, working to to produce a vaccine. Uh, they announced a primary analysis of their phase three clinical trials from the UK, Brazil, and South Africa. And uh, so they have shown that with the dose interval of 12 weeks or more that they have had a vaccine efficacy um, of around 82 percent and the results have also shown um, a vaccine efficacy of 76 percent after the first dose so uh, that's actually pretty good Um, they are just now starting their clinical trials here in the United States. And so they won't be filing for emergency use authorization probably until late spring, early summer at this time. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I have for you right now. Um, Educators, I do get a lot of questions about educators. And um, our educators right now um, unless they are 65 and older or they're they're 16 and above and have uh, underlying medical condition and comorbidities uh, educators don't fall into that 1a or 1b category school nurses fall into the 1a category um, and so we know It's important to get our teachers vaccinated as quickly as possible. Um, We also know that there are quite a few of our educators who fall into that 65 and above or even have some underlying medical conditions. So those individuals are starting to get vaccinated and some of our hubs across the state have partnered with school districts to get those individuals in and prioritize them. So we can reduce some of the vulnerabilities in our schools. Nursing students. If you are going into healthcare facilities who uh, care for patients with COVID, you nursing students have also um, been considered to fall into that 1A category, and so they are eligible for the vaccine, if that's the case. Um, there was also a comment about APRNs working at minute clinics like CBS who have not been vaccinated due to lack of vaccines. Well now, because of the federal program and CBS partnering in that federal program, I anticipate those individuals will be some of the first to be vaccinated because they're still prioritizing the 1A and the 1B population. So um, again, that that's that partnership with CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, HEB, and of course there are other grocery trains such as Kroger, um, and I believe Albertsons, if those are still around, I thought I saw them on the list as well, Um, but there are a lot of other grocery trains uh, across the state who have also um, signed up to participate in this federal program. So that information can be found on the DSHS website.
0: Thank you, Serena. You bet. Um, So I'm going to go through some of the little more uh, specific health questions that people had um, and please put your questions in the chat and uh, we'll try to answer them as best as we can today. Um, One of the big questions that keeps popping up over and over is if it's safe, um, if the vaccine is safe for pregnant women. Um, So far, yes, there haven't been specific studies done in that population. But there were several people who, during the trials, as they were going on, did get pregnant. Um, And since the vaccines rolled out in December, we know that many pregnant women have gotten the vaccines with no side effects. Um, And so, uh, based on that, ACOG is recommending that women make their own decision. Um, Please discuss it with your doctor, but it's completely up to you if you um, would like to get the vaccine and you're pregnant there haven't been any reports of adverse events yet. Um, And then for lactating and breastfeeding women, uh, we are seeing a couple of really small scale studies coming out that show that it is of a benefit um, to both the mother and the baby. Um, If you are breastfeeding um, and you get the vaccine, you will generate those antibodies that can then be passed on to the infant. So right now that's what the data is indicating is that it's safe and that it's beneficial. We um, had another question about immunocompromised patients, um, and it seems like this is going to vary on um, exactly what medications you're on uh, that lead to the immunocompromised um, state, or you know if you have a condition that leaves you immunocompromised. Uh, that really needs to be discussed with your doctors and your specialists um, to see if it's the right choice for you to get the vaccine or not at this point. Um, and then Serena, we had a question about if. A patient has had the first dose of the vaccine and then test positive for COVID before the second dose, should they continue um, on and receive the second dose as scheduled?
2: So the recommendation is that you should go ahead and proceed with getting um, that second vaccine. Uh, In addition, I know a lot of people just to touch on second doses, You know, the CDC has changed their recommendations um, instead of, you know, making sure that you get it on day 21 or day 28, depending on which vaccine you get. You can get that anywhere between four days before the due date and up to six weeks after. Um, What they have found in the trials is that... um, People who participated in the trials received their vaccine anywhere between day 21 and day 32. And so that's why they have have changed that. So I, I wanted to mention that, but you should still continue to finish out your vaccine series even though you test positive for COVID. Um,
0: some other questions were about uh, how there's been a lot of misinformation being disseminated. Um, by public figures and like on social media, like Facebook and Twitter. And um, we want to encourage you to visit our site, which is texasnurses.org slash COVID-19. We have resources that you can use on social media, for instance, and so does uh, the Texas Hospital Association and the Texas Medical Association, as well as DSHS. So I would say follow all of them on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, and you can use their resources um, to help, Dispel some of the myths and to debunk some of the misinformation that's going out there. Um, I know that DSHS will be starting a much larger vaccine education program soon. Right now, since the vaccines um, are just getting rolled out to specific limited groups, there hasn't been a big push on that yet, but it is coming very soon. Um, and then What strategies do you recommend for fighting pandemic fatigue? So that's one thing that um, it's affecting everybody, especially nurses. Um, We have heard from a lot of nurses that are so burned out um, and nurses that have left the profession because of this. And then, of course, on the public side, it's people that are really sick of hearing about the pandemic. Uh, They don't want to talk about COVID-19 and they don't want to hear anything else about it either. Uh, so that's definitely a challenge. I think that the vaccines have shown us there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel um, and that this isn't forever. We, we're not gonna have to live like this forever in isolation, wearing masks and all of that. And vaccines are the way to get out of that. Um, Serena, do you have anything about the nurses in particular?
2: Um, you know, I, I think nurses have been tired for a really long time and the the vaccine truly is the light at our end of at the end of the tunnel and i've i've it's been so much fun just to see all my nursing colleagues post on facebook and hashtag it's my shot and uh because this it it is our shot this is our chance to uh to get out from under this and and finally just move forward with some sense of normalcy again um you know i think the one thing that we can do as nurses, which I think we've done throughout the entire pandemic, is that we still have to continue to educate people. Um, We need to educate our peers uh, because the uptake of the vaccine, even in healthcare, has been very, very slow, um, specifically among nurses. And the most trusted health profession uh, needs to, you know, we, we need to show that there is some confidence in, in taking this vaccine and moving things forward. Uh, the, the general public, you know, here in the state of Texas, there was a, a survey that went out. And at the time, the, the initial survey, 39% of Texans said that they would get the vaccine. And um, there was another third that said, I'm waiting and seeing. And there's another third that said, uh, no way Jose. And that was really very consistent with what the American Nurses Foundation survey found as well With amongst nurses. There was a third who said yes, a third who said maybe, another third who said no way. Um, and so that survey has the Texas survey has recently been redistributed and those numbers have increased slightly as far as the number of people who are willing to get vaccines, which it increased to about 49%. So that is encouraging. We just have have to continue to work at increasing those numbers. Uh, We need to increase the number of people who have been vaccinated so we can move forward with this. And uh, it's, like I said, it's been very encouraging to just see the number of people who are frustrated because they can't get a vaccine. And, uh, you know, again, I think more doses are coming and the new administration has committed to uh, obtaining more vaccines for the United States, and uh, hopefully we will we will see the impact of that very very soon. But in the meantime, what we can do is we can prepare everyone uh, for to receive the vaccine. So as it does become more and more available, uh, more and more people are willing to get it. Right.
0: Um, and those are that covers most of the questions that we have. So uh, I'll give it one more minute in case anyone wants to put any other questions into the Facebook chat. Um, again, the website is texasnurses.org slash COVID-19. Our email address is COVID at texasnurses.org. And you can also call our practice line, which Serena handles. And so let us know if you're having any issues in your workplace um, or you have any legal questions such as about how to call Safe Harbor. We have tons of resources on the website um, that are free for anyone to access, including um questions about the vaccine so if you go to our COVID-19 page at the very bottom there's an FAQ section on vaccines specifically Uh, so you can get some answers there and also I know a lot of nurses have asked about the speed with which the vaccines came out because of course nurses being in healthcare remember when the last vaccine was developed it took something like four years for it to be developed and tested and then distributed Um, and this was closer to seven or eight months Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. They're all on the website, so you can go and um, get those answers and then disseminate them to your peers and colleagues and students and just make sure that everyone is as educated as possible so that they can feel um, reassured getting the vaccine themselves and so that they can educate their patients and their communities. All right. Um, I don't see any questions so far. Um, And let me just double check the list of the pre-submitted questions, just in case. And I know that, um, as Serena mentioned, CVS, Walgreens, HEB, Walmart, a lot of places are doing vaccine distributions now, and I know that some of them are hiring. So if you are a nursing student or are a nurse that um, is looking for a way to contribute, but volunteering isn't possible for you, uh, I know a lot of these clinics are also hiring. Uh, So maybe keep an eye out for that as well. Um, And of course, if you missed our um, sessions on Monday with Nurse Day at the Capitol, they will be available in our 24-7 on-demand learning platform, which is called the Learning Curve. Uh, So you can find information about that on on our website under the Professional Development tab. Um, And same thing for the event yesterday, which was about disparities in COVID-19. And so both of those events will be put up in the learning curve later this month. So you can catch up on that information if you missed it. I believe that is the end of our questions. So thank you all for joining us. Uh, Please let us know your questions, your concerns. If you wanna share your stories, send us a photo, anything like that, just get in contact with us. All that information is on the website and we appreciate you joining us today. I'm going to make sure we the doctor in there.